2: Presented by AT and T. Connecting changes everything.
3: Welcome to Fitness Disrupted, a production of iHeartRadio. I am Tom Holland, and this is Fitness Disrupted: The Secrets of People Who Never Get Sick. I know you're thinking, "What a clickbaity title," and you'd be right, but it's not mine. It's actually. The title of an amazing book and the idea to do a show on this book came to me uh, when I was doing my latest, most recent listener mailbag show. Someone reached out to me with a question about cold showers and it reminded me that that is one chapter in this book. So it is a book titled The Secrets of People Who Never Get Sick and it is written by A guy I became friendly with, Gene Stone, a prolific writer, especially in the health and wellness field. I met him years ago. I was doing a project with Men's Health where I was writing for them and also interviewing certain people for video on video. And he was one of them. I reached out to him, met him in New York City. Amazing guy. Uh, Became friends with him. You know, have gone out to dinner. Uh, He is a vegan. I was going to say vegetarian, but he's vegan. And just an amazing guy. Incredible writer, not just about health and wellness, but has numerous, over 50 books. And his health and wellness books, obviously, they vary in tone. Uh, This one is great for just about everyone because it's just chapter by chapter. There are 25 chapters and each one is another thing like cold showers. You know, the secrets and practices of people who rarely, if ever, get sick. He profiles a handful of people and goes chapter by chapter. Very simple. And he uses science and he uses anecdotal kind of exactly what I do here on the show, which is probably why I enjoy reading his books and articles so much, but amazing. So that's what the show is going to be about. I'm not going to give you all 25 because I think you should read the book as well. And why give you the entire book? I'm going to give you seven. I pulled out seven that I think I know that you can utilize, learn about and apply right away. And that's another thing I love about Gene Stone in this book in particular, They're takeaways that you apply right away. You go, okay, and some are going to be, just like many of the topics I talk about, commonsensical, but we'll give you the science. He gives you studies. Uh, Again, he gives you the anecdotal, which I love, Uh, and I threw in a handful more studies just where I felt they could help out. But this is exactly what the show's about, all right? Secrets of People Who Don't Get Sick, things that you can employ. And listen, the placebo effect, we'll talk about that. So things that might help you won't hurt you don't cost a lot if anything and that's kind of what we're all looking for right all right quick break when we come back i'm going to give you seven of the 25 secrets of people who never get sick we'll be right back
1: at purdueglobal.edu.
3: I have to say, and it's not one of my seven, but the first chapter in this book is Blue Zones. And anyone who has listened to any of my shows knows that I reference the Blue Zones so frequently. And I love that he starts the book with that, but I'm not going to talk about that. It's in other shows, and uh, I have yet to do a separate show on it, but uh, I've talked about it a lot, and I will continue to. Let's go to seven other secrets, though, of people who never get sick. And the first one I pulled out is caloric restriction. Caloric restriction. So this is one of those commonsensical ones, but there's also science behind it. And that's what's really interesting. And I love he starts out with the anecdotal. He starts talking about George Burns, right? George Burns, the famous actor, comedian, amazing performer who lived to be, he lived past his 100th birthday, right? I believe he died just after his 100th birthday. And he was so often asked, not only was he so fit and healthy, even, you know, the last couple years of his life, but he was mentally with it. Amazing. And he is famous for saying, and Gene talks about this in the book, when he was asked, how do you stay so fit and healthy? What's your advice? One of his most common replies was, eat half. Eat half. There's another, like, ridiculously simple piece of advice, especially in the United States, when we go out to dinner and we get these ridiculously large servings, eat half. Eat half. So I love that that's how he starts the chapter on caloric restriction. And what's really interesting about, you know, when you study all this stuff, I've been talking about excessive moderation, right, for many, many years term uh, I have used, came up with when it comes to what we should do as far as exercise and nutrition. Excessive moderation. Don't do a lot a little bit. Do a little bit a lot when it comes to exercise, when it comes to your eating strategies. And if you actually research this, and this was so mind-blowing to me because I'd been in the industry for a while and just hadn't come upon this. There's so much out there, right? There's a guy named Luigi Cornaro, right? And he is credited as being One of the first people to write one of the first longevity bestsellers. And it was called The Art of Living Long. And he wrote this in 1550. Okay. What was the major takeaway? Moderation. (laughs) He said life could be extended through moderation. Here's what's also mind-blowing. This was back. He he was born. they, They weren't sure. They're still not sure if he lived to be 98 or 102. But it was one or the other. So they weren't sure if he was born in 1467 or 1464. He was a Venetian nobleman and he lived to be around 100 years old back in the 1400s, into the 1500s. Incredible. Uh, incredible. And the interesting thing about him, the anecdotal side, he, at age 40, in his 40s, he was a wreck, he was a mess. You know, he says, uh, attributed it to a hedonistic lifestyle, excessive eating, drinking, all of the stuff that's so common, right? So the doctors at the time told him to go really low calorie, to go caloric restriction, which he did. And he lived to be almost 100 years old. So he was a big proponent, though, of moderation. I love this. I love this. And I will do a whole show on that book. But. Two fun anecdotal things, right? Back into the 1400s. And then George Burns, you know, a a little more current. One interesting thing about so many of the studies into caloric restriction, though, it's mostly rodents. It's mostly done on mice and things like that. So can we truly extrapolate those findings out? That's the question. Not many human studies, but that's oftentimes how it is with certain studies for sure. Uh, But there is one that I pulled out. And the acronym is C A L E R, I E calorie, uh, different spelling, and it is the comprehensive assessment of long-term effects of reducing intake of energy. So this was a study done uh, to try to take the the mice out of the picture, use it, uh, use humans, uh, and it was a study designed to determine the biological effects of two years of prolonged caloric restriction on humans. All right, so one of the the first ones or or major ones recently done. And it included 218 young and middle-aged, normal-weight, or moderately overweight adults. And they were randomly divided into two groups. One group was told to follow a caloric restriction diet for two years, and the other one was told to just do what you normally do. All right? The goal for the caloric restriction group was to have them eat 25% fewer calories. Uh, I love that, (laughs) you know, I've, I've said how... I believe so many of the studies into nutrition and stuff is is so flawed because of self-reports and it's very hard to control for, right? Well, for this one, again, they tried to get them to eat 25% fewer calories. They got them down to about 12%, so about half of what they were trying to accomplish, but that's still significant. And they found after two years, a 10% weight loss. Uh, in the body over the two years, and they maintained it. And, you know, if you're 200 pounds, 20 pounds, that's a pretty big deal. More importantly, though, because I I always say, yes, we want to be a healthy weight, but compared to the participants in the control group, those in the calorie-restricted group, reduced risk factors, okay? Lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol, and, you know, the diseases like diabetes, heart disease, and stroke, lower risk, okay? That's That's super important. And they also show decreases in some inflammatory factors. And we don't want to get too deep into that, but just know that those uh, are associated with longer lifespans and diminished risk for age-related diseases. Okay? And also, importantly, no adverse effects. And some favorable ones were found on things like sleep, uh, sexual function, mood, quality of life. And then one really final Interesting point. I I had to pull out and love this. The calorie restriction intervention, it did cause slight declines in bone density. We don't want that, right? Lean body mass, we don't want uh, reduction in that. We want to keep that muscle, as I talk about frequently, and aerobic capacity, okay? Cardiovascular kind of strength and endurance. So we don't want that. But here's the simple takeaway. Other short-term studies, not associated with this one, but other short-term studies, what do they say? Combining physical activity with calorie restriction is going to protect against those things. Loss of bone, your aerobic capacity, and your muscle mass. What a fantastic way to start this show. So sure, we want to eat fewer calories. I'm not talking starving yourself, and that is talked about frequently, that this is not about starvation. It's about reducing your calories. Eating fewer calories, yes, is just healthier. So say the studies, mostly on mice right now, but now we're getting more and more data on people. No adverse effects. And when you combine it with exercise, you mitigate the potential negative effects. There are those three. But it can be mitigated with exercise, which is why, how many times have I said... The, the if you're all or nothing. I, is it cardio or is it um, diet that matters? It's both. Stop separating the two. Stop separating the two. We need to do both for so many reasons, but I love when the studies just clarify it like this one just did. So, fewer calories. That's simple. We're all better off eating fewer calories. And as I did those shows on empty calories and superfoods, try to eat healthier foods. So fewer calories and more nutrient-dense foods. It's not about deprivation or starvation, I should say, or even depriving yourself. When we say calorie restriction, I'm not saying deprive yourself. Smaller portions, higher quality foods. And I would argue, and as I do, mix it up. Mediterranean-style diet is what I follow and believe in. but eat a bunch of healthy stuff, and we'll leave it at that. All right, number two, and I love this, eating dirt. It's literally the title of the chapter, eating dirt. Now, it doesn't literally mean eating dirt, although it kind of does. And this goes to a really interesting concept called the hygiene hypothesis, okay? And the hygiene hypothesis, one quick definition, is a theory about They they call it a disease of affluence that reflect a, this is a tough word to say, paradigmatic shift in how medicine views the human immune system. So basically, we are Windexing and, you know, Cloroxing things to death. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing overall. Right? Not all bacteria, viruses, and fungi are bad. We shouldn't get rid of all those. We are getting too sterile. And (laughs) the way I love to have this discussion, and it will gross you out. I've used it before. I say, I grew up with five brothers and one toothbrush. Totally not true. And my mom would freak out or freaks out when she hears me say that. But I'm just getting the point across that lots of germs. I grew up with lots of germs. I believe personally that is one of the reasons of many that I don't get sick. I am rarely, if ever sick. And this is a perfect segue to a 1989 study in the British medical journal on hay fever and eczema in children. Okay. In this study, they found only one factor to be significant enough to cause or suggest, I should say, a causal relationship. Family size. <laughs> The greater the number of siblings that the subject had in this study, the lower the chance of developing either hay fever or eczema. So the main researcher in the study, he concluded that exposure to infections help kids avoid allergies. And over the past century, declining family size improvements in household amenities and higher standards of personal cleanliness have reduced opportunities for cross infection in young families. That's really interesting. And this is a this is a great topic for another day. But how many kids, how many people have allergies? How many hours, you know, we talk about this all the time. I'm 51. So many of the allergies that are out today were not out when I was kids. Peanut allergies, things like that. What does that come from? Could this possibly be one that we are oversterilizing our environment? I say yes, and so does Gene Stone, all right? 2009 study of more than 1,500 kids in the Philippines discovered that the more pathogens they encountered outside before the age of two, the less inflammation that was found in their blood. And the takeaway from that study was early exposure to germs can reduce the risk of chronic inflammation later in life. Again, topic for another day. We're just kind of putting these out there right now. But exposure, our immune systems, like muscle, right, needs to be challenged to get stronger, needs to be exposed. When we, when we lift heavy weights, we're challenging our muscles and they repair themselves and get stronger. If we avoid all of these more natural viruses, bacteria, fungi, potentially could be a bad thing. So, eat dirt. <laughs> Play in dirt. It's okay to get dirty. We need to be exposed to these things. Interesting chapter. And number three will come as no surprise to those who have listened to prior shows, because it goes to the Blue Zones as well. Friends. Friends, we are social beings. We need connections. Let me tell you something. I've talked about my failings. I know where I need to improve. One is getting more sleep. That will come up. (laughs) And one is social connections. I prefer to go out on a bike ride, a run by myself. I'm more a loner, have been for a long time. I love people, a social person, but I also love my alone time or with my two dogs. But we need those connections. We need those social connections. a huge part of the book, The Blue Zones. And I'm sorry if I keep boring you with that reference, but it's so important to me. It's such amazing data and research university researchers at Ohio state and Pittsburgh's Carnegie Mellon university. They have demonstrated that people who report having strong social support have stronger immune systems and are less likely to succumb to infectious disease. A 10 year, and I'm pulling right from the book, a 10 year Australian study it estimated that older people with a large circle of friends, they were 22% less likely to die during the study than those with fewer friends. And finally, a Swedish study of middle-aged men found that having fewer or no close friends increases the risk of having a first-time heart attack by 50%. Really interesting. As I do this show, we're still in the midst of COVID, social distancing Staying away from people, and I believe, and and we're all feeling it, right? But I I think it's much more pronounced than than people are just even giving it credit for. It's not good. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to say. It's not good. We need social connections. We need it. And that is the chapter on friends. All right. I just kind of touched on this one quickly. Napping. I'm a big napper. I also believe, by the way, I, I think I am somewhat narcoleptic after... 51 years, I mean, my brothers used to say it all the time. <laughs> I fall asleep all the time, all the time. And I take naps all the time. Lack of sleep is really bad. And I know that that is one thing, is one of my things I need to, to work on. I go to bed late and I get up early. And I, and I you know, I try to take, na- I do take naps to try to mitigate that. But, you know, you still got to get your sleep at night. Studying right now brain and behavior in the extremes, that Harvard class I'm taking, amazing. And sleep comes up over and over with astronauts and people in extreme environments, people doing extreme events. Lack of sleep, so not good on on cognitive levels, on physiological levels. Uh, We need sleep. So naps, chapter on naps, naps work. You know, I'm fortunate that I have an office (laughs) where I can just take a nap whenever I want to. Other people don't have that luxury, but the takeaway is when you can, naps are good. They help refresh. And interesting research shows naps make you smarter. Research from the University of California, Berkeley, found that naps not only improve your health, they make you smarter. And this was an experiment of 39 young adults. One group napped for 90 minutes. The other one didn't. The nappers, they scored far better on learning tests. So again, the cognitive side, some research is saying that the optimal time to nap between one and three. And that's when our bodies are most in need of rest and uh, the best time to get that REM sleep. Now there's question as to how long. I personally say to Siri, uh, wake me up in a half hour. Mine are half hour naps. I don't want to get much more than that. And certain studies will show, you know, longer, might not be as good as the shorter ones. Uh, I'm a big believer in just just get it done. And finally, Napoleon Bonaparte, Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Edison, and Winston Churchill. All big nappers. And great quote uh, in this book from Winston Churchill. Nature had not intended mankind to work from 8 in the morning until midnight without the refreshment of blessed oblivion, which, even if it only lasts 20 minutes, is sufficient to renew all the vital forces. I'm always amazed from Luigi Cornaro to Winston Churchill how so many of the quote unquote secrets about health are really old. An apple a day keeps the doctor away, right? All right, let's do one more quick break. When we come back, what do we got? We got one, two, three left? Four left. Yeah, three left. All right, secrets of people who never get sick. We'll be right back.
1: at purdueglobal.edu.
3: Talking about secrets of people who never get sick based on the book by Gene Stone. And by the way, I don't know if I said it at the outset, I think I did, but even if I did, it bears repeating. This book has been translated into more than 30 languages. So often I get questions from listeners and people who read my books as well about other books to read, uh and this is one it's it's a quick read it's a fun read it's easy chapter by chapter the anecdotal the research uh you know as i said at the start of the show it's it's how i try to kind of do these shows the content of these shows is all of those things combined because that's one of the greatest way to teach right we do the anecdotal give you a story george burns luigi Cornaro, right but one, you know, person does not beget the truth. And then we look at the studies and then we look at common sense and then we go, how much does it cost? And is it going to hurt me potentially? What are the side effects? And then we make our educated decision, right? I thought of leaving this one out. So even though Gene has 25 in there, I thought of leaving this one out. And then I said, no, this one has to be in here. You know, uh, I believe they all have value. This one just, well, we'll talk about it. Vitamin C. Okay, so vitamin C. And when I think of vitamin C, I I think of, and I don't want to name the product, but you've heard it. There was, or is, a product containing vitamin C and a bunch of things. And the commercial goes something to the effect of, you know, invented by a teacher who used to get sick all the time. And I'm thinking like, oh, because the person got sick all the time, they were qualified to, to create a supplement because they got sick. They got <laughs> I always thought they were a teacher because they were always exposed to something. There's so many jokes off that inappropriate as well. And I'm not gonna do them. But you know, vitamin C is one of those things. And and people either swear by it or they don't. And that actually goes to the research. Let me skip ahead. Uh, you know. There's mixed research. So, including a 2001, a little far back, but it was an Australian study, double-blind, randomized, long-term, and it was looking at, you know, the claim of vitamin C being a quick cure for the common cold, inconclusive. Which is why, you know, I hesitated to include it, but then I thought, this still, it's not going to hurt you. Vitamin C is important. It's interesting, though, most people get enough vitamin C in their diets, right? It's added to so many things. But... They talk about, or Gene talks about in the book, a guy named Linus Pauling. And in 2003, the National Institutes of Health designated the Linus Pauling Institute as a center for excellence in the field of alternative and complementary medicine. And the star vitamin was, of course, vitamin C that this Nobel Prize winning chemist, Linus Pauling, took daily and at more than 30 times the US recommended daily allowance. All right. But again, most of us get enough of it in our diet. So the question is, A, do we need megadoses? And B, should we, you know, uh, take more at the outset of feeling things like you're getting sick, a common cold. Let me give you one study. This was in the Indian Journal of Clinical Biochemistry. I pulled this one out. This is not in the book, uh, Gene's book. Uh, September 2013, Vitamin C Disease Prevention and Cure An Overview. So just a basic overview. And it just talked about, yes, vitamin C is an antioxidant that protects the body from free radical damage. We know that. That is pretty much, uh, you know, set in stone. But they also talked about, yes, it's used as a therapeutic agent in many diseases and disorders, vitamin C protects the immune system and helps to fight off infection. So yes, we know it's a powerful antioxidant, but then the question becomes, and this is what the the debate is, or one of the debates, is it the orange itself and not the vitamin C as a, you know, is it other things in fruits and vegetables? And this goes to supplements versus real food. I always say, get it from the real food first, and then we can supplement after. So This is a tough one for me, but hey, Gene included in the book. I think there's validity to it. And again, I don't want you going out and paying two hundred dollars for vitamin C, you know, supplements. But hey, secrets of people don't get sick. He's throwing it in there. Gene knows his stuff. I'm a believer in it. I'm not one of these mega dose people at all. I do a multivitamin, but I take in a lot of fruits and vegetables. But there's something to it, so I'm going to keep an open mind. I need to see more research. But, you know, some pretty smart people believe that megadoses and taking it at the outset of things like the common cold could help. So there you go. Two more. And these are going to have a theme, and then we're going to wrap it all up. So number six, stresslessness. Stresslessness. So not being stressed. How often do I talk about that? Right? Because stress, yes, can kill you. Heart disease. So many different things. Stroke. Connected. Gene talks about a 2003 study from the University of Wales College of Medicine. This is so interesting, published in Psychosomatic Medicine, that people with Type A personalities are much more likely to have heart attacks than others. So that's one of those kind of commonsensical ones, highly strong, but the mind-body connection is incredible, right? Research from Duke University also shows that stress damages the immune system and the heart. Investigators found that 20% of those who responded adversely to mental stress testing later suffered heart problems. And finally, other studies suggest that stress conditions increase the chances of contracting bacterial infections. Stress is not good. And that's why we talk about exercise, and I say I do it for my head, as well as the vanity and the living long. And that's why there are so many Aspects to exercise, and one of the primary or major benefits is the stress reduction, is the improved mood. A dose of exercise as powerful, if not more so, than many pharmaceuticals. That's not to say you shouldn't take those if if that's what your doctor's recommending, but many doctors are adding the exercise in because studies are showing it to be so powerful to help reduce stress. And this ties in perfectly with number seven, the final one, positive attitude. Oh, sounds like something I say at the end of just about every show. How important controlling our attitudes is. And this is just one interesting study that Gene brings up in the book. Ten patients scheduled for knee operations. It's kind of interesting uh, study. Only two actually had the surgery. Three had part of it and five didn't have it at all. But they told all ten that they had it right? What was? What do you think the findings were or the outcome? All 10 reported much less knee pain simply because they thought they had had the surgery. So we're talking about the placebo effect. And yes, science has not figured out a definitive way to prove this. <laughs> but those of us who have employed it in our personal lives know it works, right? But, you know, there's studies at Institutions like Yale's and Rutgers, Gene talks about as well, that show that a person's attitude towards his or her health, I'm quoting here, is possibly the best predictor of physical well-being. Let me say that one more time. It's a perfect final point to bring this show to an end. A person's attitude towards his or her health is possibly the best predictor of physical well-being. All right? Published reports uh, back in 2009 showed that various mind-body techniques were able to successfully treat, and again, quoting right from Gene here, conditions such as uh, fibromyalgia, cancer, Alzheimer's, sleep disorders, IBS, celiac disease, and more. Okay, and finally, according to the National Kidney Foundation, a positive attitude is considered one of the most important factors in whether or not a body will accept an organ transplant. The mind, the mind, secrets of people who never get sick. Positive attitude is so much. And again, I said, there are 25 chapters, 25 different secrets. Yoga's in there. There are other, the vast majority of them, if you had to put them into a bucket, it's the mental side. It's the mental side. That's why I'm studying human behavior yet again. You get the science down and you study the exercise science and the physiology. But if you leave out the psychology, you can't attack this. You can't, in my opinion, speak about it with any true relevance. It's so connected. The placebo effect. Ten patients, knee operations, only two got it. All ten felt really incredibly better. It's kind of a tough study. I mean, you hope they (laughs) they obviously gave them all the surgery afterwards. But there you go. I love this book. It's simple. It's quick. It's not earth shattering. But like my show and my books and everything else I do, it's research and it's simple anecdotes. And then it's takeaways. Can you do some of this stuff? Right? Right. Can you have the positive attitude? Can you reduce your stress? Can you potentially add some vitamin C, you know, if you're getting sick frequently? Can you take a nap? Can you try to increase your social connections? Can you maybe stop Windexing everything and, you know, let your kids go play and get dirty? And finally, let's eat a few fewer calories. That's seven things we can all do today. And that's what Fitness Disrupted is about. Helping you have a better life, taking the science, the stuff we can do right away, not making it complicated. So much of that out there drives me crazy, either too complicated or no science behind it at all. And then when you put the two of those together, it's, it's a whole term I can't even say. Anyway. Secrets of People Don't Get Sick, Gene Stone. If you're looking for a good, quick, fun read, that is one I recommend. I would love to get him on. I invited him. <laughs> I don't know that he's a big podcast guest. I will try again. But regardless, great book, Secrets of People Don't Get Sick. There you go. Seven of them, and there are 18 more. I gave you one with the Blue Zones, but I think you'll, you'll enjoy it, and, and yoga as well. Anyway, hope you enjoyed that. Let me go over it one final time. Eat fewer calories. Eat fewer calories. Get some germs. Don't over-sterilize things. Connect with some more friends, family members. Take naps when you can. Maybe a little bit more vitamin C. Control your attitude. And that's it. Thank you for listening. I am Tom Holland. If you have not yet rated the show, shame on you. Rate the show. Takes one second. Subscribe to the show. Tell your friends. We are, as of this show breaking a million downloads so thank you for that just over a year amazing amazing I love what I do my job get you the greatest results shortest amount of time with the least likelihood of injury and help us all to enjoy our lives to the fullest and as long as we possibly can because there are three things that we control how much we move what we put into our mouths and our attitudes and that my friends is awesome Tom H. Fit is my Twitter and Instagram. Tom H. Fit, fitnessdisrupted.com. Reach out to me through there. Brand new book, Micro Workout Plan. If you are interested, Micro Workout Plan. And if you have read it, if you could leave a review, I would greatly appreciate that. That's super helpful for authors. Leave a review on Amazon. And thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reaching out, giving me comments and questions. Because I use those as I just did in all of my listener mailbag shows. Okay, thank you. Have an awesome day, and believe in yourself. Fitness Disrupted is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Rug Flooring